Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today we're talking to college admissions expert Julie Kim about how we can best understand the application process and help our kids to do their best. Steph, how about we talk about when we were kids? What did the college application process look like for you? Oh, boy. So I did not get tutored. I know that for sure. I'm trying to think if I did anything. I remember having an SAT book. I remember being in my room and doing some of the practice problems. That I do remember. And I also remember filling out applications, and I definitely did not get any help with those applications. So I had a pretty similar experience, except for the investment in the outcome of the test. But my parents had no idea where I was applying. There were essays that I wrote and showed nobody. I, in some naive world, just thought I would apply and get in, which wasn't true for all the schools I applied to. But the one I kind of thought I was going to go to, I applied. I got in. My mother at some point made a comment, I'm so relieved. And I was like, why? You thought I wasn't going to get in? <laughs> like, it was so funny to me. But when it came to studying for the SATs and the East Coast, I never even heard of the ACTs. I don't even know if it existed Same. then, but I certainly hadn't heard of it. I was so committed to doing well on the SATs. I had no cards of, I can tell you where I ended in my vocabulary study because I know what word I, and I think I ended on belligerent, which means that I didn't get past B. But I walked around studying for that test, like in a very serious way. And I took practice tests and, and in a weird way, liked it. But I also loved studying for the LSATs. I loved studying for the LSATs. So I can see that that, I can appreciate that comment. And I think it fits, you like to be prepared and you like to get good grades. That's not, well, so I won't say that, that I was consistently that way in school, but there was something about these tests that, like, I don't know. I just, I enjoyed it. That You, you know, also like to win. Um, not critical. I do too. I'm saying yeah. there is a, right? You like puzzles. You yeah, like maybe puzzles. it all goes together. Yeah. I don't. I don't know because I I wasn't consistently that way about school, but but I was about these tests in law school. There's this thing about making outlines, and you start law school and you have a, no idea what an well. I had no idea what an outline was, but it it's used over and over and over again. And there's this panic about when does someone teach you what an outline is, but really the outline is an outline. <laughs> it's like right. whatever you learned. And so I have small handwriting and neat handwriting, and I would put ev- the whole course on one piece of paper, and people would ask if they could have my outline. And I was thrilled to share it because, and I would say to them, you know, it's not having the outline, it's creating the outline. Like that's where I learned the information. So yeah, you could have my pretty piece of paper and then you (laughs) should frame it and hang it on the wall and then you should make your own. Well, and you know what is amazing about that is how little this has to do with Julie Kim. (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay. We've done that before where we've we've rambled on about things. All of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, where are we going? We're going about study habits. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like it's it's okay. connected. We started about note cards. You jumped off that. Yes. To, to writing things down, to which I jumped off of. I think yeah, we've got it, natural okay. segues. All right. Um, and we're done. Okay. <laughs> Up next is our conversation with Julie Kim. We can't wait for you to join us. I have sent five kids to college. It's insane. Five kids to college, 29 years of parenting. And now my baby two weeks ago left for college. It is 
a tad devastating, a huge adjustment. But Steph, you've still got one at home, so that means you're about to enter into the college process all over again for the last time. That is correct. And I've been thinking about how different it's going to be with a daughter, and it presents other exciting opportunities. And one thing I've been thinking about is she is at an all-girls high school, and I've seen the benefit of that. And our sponsor, Agnes Scott College, is an all-women's college. And I can see what a game-changer it is for so many students. What I love about them is that you don't have to choose between an academic concentration or a liberal arts degree. At Agnes Scott College, you get to do both and customize your experience, all of which include leadership development in a global society. So check out their summit program at summit.agnesscottcollege.com to learn more. excited to be talking with Julie Kim, the founder and CEO of Julie Kim Consulting, where she specializes in demystifying the college admissions process and helps kids get into their dream schools. Thanks for being with us, Julie. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a pleasure to talk about college admissions and parenting and teens, all the stuff I love. Okay, so our first question, there's that moment when your kid starts high school and People, including parents, often say, okay, now it counts. So do you have a feeling like we're putting too much pressure and emphasis on our kids when they start high school? Yeah, absolutely. I think it comes from the mentality that, you know, I want you to do better than I did and I want you to do this right. So there's a lot of pressure coming from parents as well and their belief system too. And so I think the reason why parents are so you know, stressed out about this process and giving a lot of pressure is because, you know, starting high school is when things start to really count. You know, colleges will look at your resume, your, you know, transcript, your test report starting eighth grade summer. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of pressure in the house. Do you believe in the title of Frank Bruni's book, Where You Go Is Not Who You Will Be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I first went through a community college system and you know, that led me to different parts of my academic journey. And so I, I tell my students that, you know, going to a college and university, that is simply a resource and that wherever you go, it's up to you to make the best of it. So a student could, for example, go to, let's say, Harvard and not do anything and be passive and just attend classes and get B's and C's. And whereas it may be a student who goes to Reed College, which is one of my favorite schools from uh, Maria Furtado's The Colleges That Change Lives. And he could do an amazing job working with PhD students and doing research and all of that. So it's up to you to make the best out of that experience and how proactive you are about it. That's going to make the difference. Yeah, I agree with that statement. Yeah, that's an excellent approach to college. It's what you put in. It's true for everything in life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about how college has changed since you went to college? And really, I mean the process. I went to college. So I graduated from high school in 2008. So I hasn't been that long, I would say. But obviously, the difference is that there are way too many students applying to the Ivy Leagues and top tier with um, the Common Application because the Common App and UC Applications allow you to apply to so many schools. And so because so many students are applying, the competition is brutal out there. And I would say that that is really the difference. And 
you know, back in the days when I was going, it was more of like, you know, try to do a lot of volunteering, put yourself out there, go to a few summer programs, do this and that, and you should be fine. But now it's more like, no, you shouldn't be doing a lot. You should actually be doing less because you should focus on what you really like and what really excites you, what you're passionate about. So I think students are trying to juggle both of the worlds, right? One is how can I be competitive? But at the same time, how can I do what I really like? And I also sense that from our generation where we would do nine, we would go into nine to five jobs and feel completely, you know, like lost and they're not happy, you know, just go, go to work nine to five, come back and watch Netflix. And then it's repeat over and over again. So I feel like, you know, this generation right now, they're experiencing something a little bit more different than yeah. what we had. And I think you said that well. They are experiencing a lot of mix, mixed messages, and I think they don't yeah. know which way to go. And so I'd love, you know, we have obviously parents listening to the podcast. I'd love some of your advice, what you know, what you say to college students that are coming to you for advice. What, what do you tell them? How do you find that balance between all these mis- mixed messages? Absolutely. So first of all, it is important that you are showing something to the colleges because you can't just say, oh, you know, I'm so passionate about dance and I'm so passionate about science and research. But if you really didn't do anything about it, they're not really going to believe you. Right. So showing tangible evidence is important. And so what I have my students work on is what I call a passion project. And I say, you know what, you know, if if you have something that you're really interested in and you're really good at it, and you like it, why don't you create a project out of that and make that, you know, what goes on your resume? Because number one, you're going to love doing it. Number two, you know, it's going to just, it's going to be good for your health, your mental health, because a lot of students are going into volunteering centers because they feel like they need to. And so many students come to me asking, oh my goodness, Julie, I have 500 hours of volunteering. Is that good enough? And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how you approach volunteering. Right. And so I just approach that I give is, Let's start off with what you like. You don't even need to be passionate about it. And I think that word passion gets misused very frequently now. You know, people tell students, go out there and find your passion. You don't go out there and find your passion. You do what you like and what you're interested in and let that sort of unfold for you. That's brilliant. That's excellent. So you're talking about kids coming to you with these questions. And Mm -hmm. if they're coming to you in 11th grade, that's a little late in the story. So when... When are you getting involved in this with families? So families come to me um, at any time, actually, when they feel like they need the support. And so for students who come in at ninth and 10th grade, we really do explore their interests and turn that into a passion project. Students who come in at 11th grade, we really focus on, you know, how can you develop and explore your academic interests a little bit more, which is uh, missing in a lot of students' application because a lot of them just tend to focus on, you know, clubs and sports and et cetera. But at the end of the day, you're going to college to study. So if you are interested in psychology, let's deepen that a little bit more. Why do you like psychology so much? What can you experience within the realm of psychology that's going to, you know, get you a little bit more clarity? So I usually focus on the academic aspect with my juniors, and then we start working on the applications. So it sounds a little bit like by junior year, it's more about how are you going to package yourself for that application than how are you going to run out and fill in the blanks, right? Exactly. You know, what is your story is our our main focus. What is your story? And even if students don't have a lot of extracurriculars, I tell them that's okay because what is your story, right? If you couldn't go to summer programs because... You have to take care of your siblings. That is your story. Let's own that and let's package that into an essay. So um, that's what we focus on, yes. 
So your teen is all about helping parents. We definitely have other people listening to our podcast right now, but our big focus is on helping parents get through all the trials and tribulations of raising teenagers. College is a huge part of that. So let's talk a little bit about what do you believe the parent's role is in the college admissions process? And what I'd love to do is break it down to all the steps, because I don't think there's like a one sentence answer to how should we be involved, because there's so many components to it, right? Exactly. So if we break it down to the the processes that we've gone through, Stephanie and I have both sent several kids to college. So it starts in high school where the kid is creating a schedule, usually with a counselor, Should parents be involved in that process? I would say parents don't need to be involved in that process. It's more about what, you know, what classes you want to take. And I think some parents are like, oh, I really want you to take this class. But that doesn't make sense because the parent is not the one who's taking the class. Right. So I would just leave it up to the counselor and the student. And that class selection also depends on what colleges you're aiming for. So if you are aiming for sort of the competitive colleges, they are going to want more AP and IB and honor courses. Right. So, I mean, I would leave it up to the students, to be honest. All right. How about the college list? Where do you see parents coming in? Yeah. So I I usually have a two-step process for recruiting a college list. And The first one is a long college list, and that's where parents and students can both uh, contribute and they could write out the colleges together. And that list has about 30 colleges, 30 to 40. Right. And after that, after visiting, after contacting college mission officers, getting your questions answered and really understanding what your preferences are, that's when the student will narrow it down. You said that big list has 30 and then you move to college visits. Do you have kids actually going to visit 30 colleges? Not 30 colleges, but usually what I tell students and families is to start off with colleges that are near your area, your neighborhood. So if you are in LA, you can visit the Claremont Colleges, UCLA, USC, Loyola Marymount, Caltech, et cetera, right? So typically when students do clump it that way, they do visit about I would say 12 to 15 colleges. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of visits. I, may I didn't do that between, collectively. I was going to say between our seven kids, I'm not sure we hit that many no, colleges. No. Like my five collectively, we did not hit that many. But okay. So are the parents, at what point, so collectively they're doing the, the big list. And then at that point, you're encouraging the college visits? Well, you know, college visits could happen anytime. And so my students, they tell me that they went because their older sibling was, you know, touring the campus. And so they did it that way. So college tours could happen anytime. But after you create the long college list, it's important for you to visit. And, you know, if you can't visit, what I recommend my students to do is to email the college mission officers and ask questions. Right. And then after that, you know, a student will tell me and say, Julie, you know what? These four schools, totally not where I want to go. <laughs> and it will just eliminate them. And what's yeah. the ideal list to, is there like a, an ideal number that you encourage kids to hit when they're going to start the whole application process? Yeah. So we call that the short list and that we aim for 10. So with it, within the 10, there will be about, you know, two to three dream, three to four possible and two to three backup. Okay. How about uh, standardized testing? Let's talk about SAT and ACT. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Such, a, such an easy topic. Tell us your thoughts on that. When kids, you know, when kids should start looking at those and more about um, the parent involvement. Are parents having a uh, 
Where, where are parents weighing in on that or should they be weighing in on that? Or is that a hands-off place? I think it's important that parents provide and support the student with the resources. But when it comes to the scores and where the student is at, it really gives students a lot of pressure. So, for example, let's say that the student took the test and she got, you know, 1200 on the SAT. The first thing that kids do is look at their parents' face expression, right? Like, oh, oh my goodness, like they're going to think I didn't do well or they're going to think I'm a failure or they're going to think that I'm stupid, right? A lot of students actually tell me these things. And so I think it's important for uh, parents to encourage their children, like, you know, no matter what score you get, you know, we support you. We have different, you know, ways of increasing the scores, et cetera. So in terms of the parental involvement, I just want to see more parents encouraging their children because once the parents get anxious and stressed out, that energy students absorb really, really quickly. And wow. that could affect that could affect their testing scores. And parents don't know that. That's they really, stressing out. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great advice. That's really helpful because um I don't I think we think that the pressure lies like in a three sixty around them all the time. And that we're only like a really, really teeny part of that. But you're saying that they're they're picking up on our emotional connection to their score and we can reduce that for them. So that that's really helpful. So the next thing that the kid does is, well, right now we're at the point where they're starting to look at the application and fill in those that that overwhelming, daunting essay and all of those other pieces. So involvement from parents or leave it up to the kids? Hmm, I'm trying to think about our students and families. The ones that do well, to be honest, parents are off. So they're not involved in the essay process and what they should be doing, et cetera. So, I mean, I'm, I'm making this conclusion because my students are getting support from us. But, you know, I think it's important that parents do not get involved when it comes when, when students are writing their essays. Well, I it think, really, really doesn't help. Well, and I, Julie, I, I agree with that. And I think, but you hit on a key piece of this, which is that you guys are involved. So they are accountable right. to someone. <laughs> and I think that's a tricky one because if you've got, say, a counselor at school or an English teacher where you're writing your essays in school, they've got someone to be accountable to. And I think that that gets, um, I, I can see why that would be tricky if there isn't someone like that then, you know, if someone has to be accountable, who who does that leave in the equation? <laughs> who's, your co- who's your coach, right? right? Like, yeah. If you can't afford to pay a coach yeah. and your school doesn't really have the person who goes over all of those things with the students, then it's kind of you or no one, I guess? Yeah, so that's what I was saying, that if you don't have that accountability system and support system, the role that parents could play in this role is organizing the due dates and the essays. And that's then from great. there... Yeah, from there, the student will need to write. What I meant by parents not interrupting is, you know, parents actually changing, you know, the content of the essay and saying, oh, this doesn't sound good. Let me change it for you. That's when, you know, you're looking for trouble. <laughs> like, let it be authentically their their story, their voice. Yeah. And I mean, college admission officers, you know, they know when it's from a parent or when, when they know that, you know, someone else wrote it. It's totally different energy and word wording and all of that. So. We have heard that countless times from we've done our college events and workshops. Yes. Also, when, when the parent forgets to write like I. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter. Oops. oops. Sorry. <laughs> 
do you feel like college admissions is a lottery? You know, when you're you're working with a lot of kids, right, applying to a lot of different schools, you know, do you, in today's climate, what's your view on that? I just think that it, there are so many moving pieces that it could almost seem like a lottery. But one thing that is important is still the grades and the SAT scores, right? And if you have a certain, you know, if you have that that grade level and the SAT score that those colleges are looking for, then everything else is up to the students to make out of. So I don't think it's a complete lottery because it's really about how you're communicating yourself and how you're telling your story. I almost think of it as like, you know, creating your own personal brand, uh, letting them know what is it that you're passionate about and what your values are. So as long as that's communicated well, I don't think it's a 100% lottery system. So you're meeting with families and you have a 90% acceptance to first choice schools, I think. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. So as the admissions rate percentages decline, like, for example, almost everybody applying to these highly competitive schools meet all the criteria for the schools, right? Right. So how do you personally sustain that rate? Like, what are you offering that's so unique? I am not about let me get your resume to the best condition by doing A, B, and C. And let me just present you in a way so you can get into an Ivy League school. To me, it's about, you know, what is your interest? What is your passion? What is your strength? What is your story? What is your value? And if that can be communicated in an authentic and vulnerable way, that is exactly the way that my students get accepted. There is no polishing things up. There is no let's, you know, tell them that you did a donation for a nonprofit. It's the way that my students get accepted is by being real. And the reason why I sort of preach that and share that methodology is because that's how I got in. I had absolutely no resources, no support whatsoever growing up. And I, that's exactly just what I showed for all of my applications. And people would say, oh my goodness, Julie, you didn't have the best SAT scores and you got into where? I'm like, yeah, I got in because I just showed who I was. And I think sometimes that's what college mission officers want to see. Like, who the heck are you? Just be real (laughs) with obviously tangible evidences, right? Because you can't just say that you're passionate about something and not share anything. What would you say would be three strategies for kids and for parents to advise their kids in terms of getting into their dream colleges? Because we don't believe there's just one. (laughs) Number one, focus on your inner state first. So what I mean by that is what is your interest and how can you take that to the next step? Because if you don't know what that is, if you don't know what you're interested in, then how do you know what's your next action step? For example, I had a student, he loved playing basketball and he liked statistics, and but he didn't do anything about it. And I said, you know, the next thing that you want to do is go out there, put yourself out there, ask questions. Who is a data analyst you can contact? And so I encouraged him to message a data analyst at ESPN and connect with him. And that phone call just literally changed his life because he was exposed He was exposed to what he would have never been exposed to as a high school student. So if you know what you like even a little bit and you make an effort to get to know that career field and that major and just talking to people about it and shadowing doctors, whatever you want to do, that'll get you to the next step. That's my strategy, number one. And number two is to don't just say that you want to go into a dream school because it looks good or sounds good. 
Because when I actually went to UCLA, UCLA was my dream school and I just went because it sounded cool (laughs) and I never visited the school or anything. I was miserable there because it was not a good fit for me. I was taking classes that just didn't resonate with me. I just didn't do my research. So now my advice to high school students is email the college mission officers, visit the school, call them, talk to PhD students and master's students and people who attend there or any student there, ask questions and know what you're getting into, know what your preference is. Otherwise, you're going to regret going to that school. It's an investment. It's a lot of money that you're putting out there. Sure is. So, and that's when you know that, you know, that's when you know that you're going to write a good essay because the reason why students can't write good essays, you know, the why college essays is because they've never researched the school. So when I get drafts from some students, they're like, I want to go to USC because it's in the heart of LA. And I'm like, that's not a good reason to go to USC. You know, what, why do you want to go there? How are you going to take advantage of the resources? Why USC specifically? And that research is so, so important. So that would be my step number, uh, strategy number two. Um, Strategy number three, I would say is like, I encourage everyone to build your own passion project. And it doesn't even have to be for colleges. I have a student who loves working out. She's creating YouTube videos for how to lose arm fat and, and, you know, get leg muscle and all of that. And she absolutely loves doing it. She quit all of her volunteering and that's what she does. And it keeps her at a, at a different level in terms of her energy because she's doing what she likes. And so please, please, please take the time to do what you like and love. And that is going to, who knows, that might be the start of your career. Who knows that that might be something that you end up doing for two months, but you get inspired doing something else, right? So just take action. Thank you so much for your time, Julie Kim. We really appreciate the great advice. I'm sure everyone who was listening right now who's entering into the college process was taking notes on this because we had you gave us really, really great tips. So thanks so much, Julie Kim. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for Your Teen with Sue and Steph. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. Also, if you want to receive our newsletter, head on over to yourteenmag.com. Your Teen with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. If you like today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review or send the episode to a friend. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo. And co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema. Our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we 
even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.